Let's look good. If you're not dating somebody, you look like you should be. Come on. <laughs> so we have a baptismal tank here tonight. So uh, baptism is actually a command from our Lord. He says that if you've been uh, transformed, if you've received Christ as your Savior, he tells us to actually be baptized because it symbolizes publicly what he's done inwardly, that we've, been died, we've died with him and we've been raised with him. So this is about four degrees. No, actually, it's actually about 80 degrees. It feels great. So if baptism is something you've never done before uh, and you want to do it tonight, uh, at the end of the service, the message, uh, we're going to have that and uh, we'll also record it here so you have friends and family if you want to watch it. So we're excited for that. So if that is something in your heart that you didn't prepare for tonight, it's all right. You can get baptized. We've got extra spare clothes and towels for you. We'll be all right. All good? Awesome. Well, the past few weeks, if you've been here, I've been challenging your theology surrounding if God's will always comes to pass, and also if God controls everything. And these are common lies that we believe, and I say lies because as we look through the scriptures about how evil is present and how we have the power of choice and how we find circumstances that aren't just God's influences, they're Satan's influences, we're confronted with the reality that we live in a world that's fallen, but he's made us powerful to partner with him. But when we believe the lies that God controls everything, and God's will always comes to pass no matter what, the sinister lie that Satan has for us is that my decisions don't matter. Whether I do something or I don't, it doesn't matter, because God's will always comes to pass, and he's always in control. And when you have that paradigm, you also become numb to the pains of the world. Because you look at the pains of the world and you actually say, well, this is actually how it ought to be if God is in control. But how can we be sure that we've actually been empowered to change the world? Well, the truth is in how we've been transformed. When you look at how you have been transformed in Christ through salvation, the proof is undeniable. It's not that Jesus just saved you. He didn't just say, hey, I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to kind of go to cloud fluffy land and play with kitty cats and rainbows. Like, he could have just saved us, right? But he didn't just save us. He transformed us. The biggest lie in all the faith is that I'm saved but not transformed. Many of us are living lives as we once were and just having the fire insurance in our salvation, but never living transformed. And if you can come into the awareness, then the understanding that you've been utterly transformed, you'll find your calling. Many of us are millennials here. And I was like, what does God want from me? What are you doing? You know, like we, we wrestle with what we're supposed to do. And we wrestle with this notion of calling and how the Bible tells us we're transformed is proof that we have a calling. Because God made you this like radical superhero residing on earth, empowered the Holy Spirit. And so our transformation is proof of our calling, but you cannot fulfill your calling if you are unaware of your transformation. If you're unaware of what you're supposed to do in life, you actually might not even be in touch with who you've been transformed to be in Christ. And so last week I started on this 
this series to help us rewire what we think about ourselves, that we would actually see ourselves in the way that God sees us. We started last week noticing that you're a new creation. You're not improved in Christ. You are a brand new creation. It says that you have been made the righteousness of God. It's not like I'm just a little bit better. No, you've been made the righteousness of God. Beyond that, it's just not that you just are escaping into heaven, but you've been made a priest king. A radical, radical reality of our identity. And kings have kingdoms, right? So you're a priest king, but you also have been given a kingdom to reign, and so you're designed to reign on earth. It's not like God left you unempowered. He actually gave you keys to the kingdom or promised. So that's where I left off last week, and I'm going to pick up on this notion of rewells within you, and you have been united with God. If there's one transformational truth that can inform how you live on a regular basis, it's this one. It says, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells within you? The one who joins himself to the Lord is one with him in spirit. And here in the context of Paul's letter, he's admonishing the early church for not understanding this. He's like, do you understand what this means? And we gloss over it. We're like, oh, there's something else interesting in here. You are the temple. I wish people understood how crazy this truth is that God's spirit is dwelling within you, that God actually made his home in you. Consider that in the Old Testament, you had one gigantic temple where God's presence was inside the Holy of Holies. One select person, one time per year could enter. And then Jesus looks at the temple and says, not one stone will stand upon another, foreshadowing that there's gonna be a day when God's presence leaves the building and inhabits us. And as Jesus stood on the cross and he breathed his last breath, the veil which separates the Holy of Holies inside the temple was torn in two, saying that God's presence no longer is defined by four walls. And that was the beginning of a radical relocation of God's presence from a building into you, in your life, in your heart. Your transformation from sinner to saint didn't just rewrite your eternity. It transformed your body into a temple where God's manifest presence dwells. You are where God resides. God is not just in heaven. God is in you. You don't need to beat on the gates of heaven to send God's spirit to you because here's the thing. We read a lot of Psalms and Proverbs and we pray a lot of things from the Old Testament when God's spirit dwelled in a building. We pray oftentimes and recite the prayers of people who long for to be in God's presence, and we have it every single day, every single moment. And so what we've been convinced of is that God's presence isn't with us all the time when the scriptures and the truth is that he's living inside of you, and that God makes it mentioned five times in the scriptures that you are the temple, and also that you're one with him. Now, if this is true, if you legitimately are the temple of God, that his spirit dwells within you and you are united with him, it means one very clear thing, that it's impossible to ever 
be separated from his presence. It's actually impossible for you ever to be separated from God's presence. Let that sink in for a second. That you're never separated from him. It's not like I'm just with you. He's like, I'm in you. It's not like we're together. It's we're unified. The problem is we Christians, we sometimes pray silly things. My favorite of which, of which is that someone say, God, would you just be here? And he's like, did you not read my word? <laughs> I get it. I'll say the things just because they're so natural. Like, you know, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to be here. And he's like, hello, I'm in you. I can't get any closer. Sometimes I'll say, God really showed up. You know, you know that? He's like, well, where did he go? I don't think he left. <laughs> I love sharing these cliches with my friends. Krista sent me that one, and I just, I laugh because it's so true. But it's become so normal for us to pray things that once were but aren't how they are now. Just because God's spirit dwelled in a a temple and people long to have God's presence with them, we walk in the greatest fulfillment of all of history that God's presence is in you. If there's just one truth you take to your grave, it's just like, I'm united with God and his presence is with me. And so we need to actually stop praying for God's presence and start believing that we are his presence. Because when you begin to operate from a position that I'm separate from God, you're probably not going to feel very powerful. If you feel that you need to send the beacon, the bat signal, to send God's presence down to you, you probably aren't going to feel very powerful in that moment. Versus walking into a situation of like, Christ is in me. Every single thing I touch, God touches. It's a different place of power, isn't it? And so everywhere you go, he goes. There's no single place that you can go where he isn't. There's no struggle that you ever have or you're never stuck without him. You thrive and you struggle with him at all times. And not only do you have God's spirit in you, check this out. You have God's spirit without limit. You have God's spirit without limit. John 3, 34, for he gives the spirit without limit. Do you want more God in your life? Stop trying. <laughs> you already have it without limit. There's no such thing as having more God in your life. Now, certainly you could apply more of what you have of him into your life, but he doesn't give you any more. He's like, I gave you my spirit without limit. And here we all saying, God, would you just come here? And God, would you give more of yourself to us? These heavenly face palms. You have the infinite amount of God already present in your life. There's no such thing as receiving more God in your life because you have the entire fullness of all eternity already inside of you. God doesn't give more of his presence to pastors and less of it to habitual sinners. Every single one, yeah. Every single person in here has the same spirit that is without limit in each one of you. Now, just because you possess something powerful, sometimes it takes a little bit to learn how to use it. I get that. Someone might give you a Ferrari, and there's going to be a lot of things you need to learn about it. 
but you're in possession of his spirit, which is without limit. And so you don't need to strive for more of God. You don't need to even ask for more of him. He's already given it to you in the infinite measure so you would never perceive that you're lacking. This means that every single thing that you want to have done in your life is possible right now. Doesn't matter what you want in your life. Every single thing that you want for God to do in your life is already inside of you. The only limitation that you have in your faith is the one that you create. The only limitation you have in your faith is the one that you create. If you're not satisfied with how much God is in your life, maybe you should investigate what's holding you back. The equation, the problem on the equation is not on his side. It's not God who's withholding it. The supply of God's spirit is unending and boundless. And I get that we learn to walk in it. You think of a child that's born. It has everything it needs to walk, right? It's got feet, hands. It's not like they like develop feet later after they've been born. Like they have every single thing they need to walk, but they have not learned to use what they already have. And so whatever issue, whatever struggle is in your life, don't look like you're in a position of lack, that you need God to really send his presence to you and do the miraculous work. It's already within you, and you are learning to just apply and to use what he's already given you. And so you can ask God who, in 2 Timothy 2.7, says that he gives us understanding in everything. 2 Timothy 2.7, God will give you understanding in everything. You know what, every single troubling verse I come across in the Bible, if you know me, I love like jumping straight into tricky theology. Like we want to see like a 12-week series on why people don't get healed. That one was fun. Women in ministry, demon possession in Christians, you know, God's will not always happen. Like I run for these passages, trials and tribulations. We destroyed the book of Job, didn't we? It's going to be my next project. But every single time I encounter a verse that troubles me, I go to that 2 Timothy 2.7, the Lord will give you understanding and everything. I'm like, God, I don't get this. This is scary. I don't get it. And slowly by slowly, he's faithful to give us understanding to those who ask. So you are united with God. You are one with him in spirit. You are the temple of God. He's given you the spirit without measure. Are you feeling good about yourself yet? And he's also given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. Not only are you the temple, not only are you unified, not only do you have it without measure, you have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. It's the second Peter one, it says his divine power. Everyone say power. power. His divine power has granted us everything. Say everything. everything. Pertaining to life and godliness according to the, what does that say? Knowledge. True knowledge. There's a difference between the knowledge of God and the true knowledge of God. One will set you free, the other will enslave you. If you believe that you're a sinner saved by grace and a lowly ant just waiting to go to heaven, you probably aren't going to live a very powerful life. 
But if you believe that God has transformed you into this world-changing superhero empowered by the Holy Spirit that's united with him, wheeling through you, you're probably going to live a much different life. And as God's children, who's been promised everything pertaining to life and godliness, we should be thriving in every area. There's nothing, I don't, I don't care where you're at. If you're having a challenging day, challenging week, challenging decade, and you can't like, you're on a bad streak, I get it. But it's not God's design for you to struggle. It's actually God's design for you to flourish. It's God's design for you to thrive because we've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. That the body of Christ, the design for you isn't just to survive this world, it's actually to flourish and to thrive. But many times I see some of the most fearful people in the world are Christians. Sometimes I see the people most riddled with anxiety are Christians. Some of the most depressed people I know are Christians. Some of the most suicidal people I know are Christians. The divorce rate is just as high in the church as it is out in the world. Depression, alcoholism, you name it, it's just as high inside the four walls of a church as it is outside the church. But hold on a second, God's divine power has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Meaning that there's nothing that we cannot accomplish and see through to excellence and victory than what we actually portion God to do within us because he's already given it to us. And so as God's children, we should take a position of, of victors, not victims. So many victims, like professional victims. You guys know some of those people? It's like, the day could be amazing. They could have gotten a raise, gotten married. They could have gotten other things. Well, my air conditioning in my car, like, broke. You know, you're like, there's some people who just can't decide to be happy and to be thankful and to live powerfully. And I get that troubling times come. But there's something to be said about, I'm a victor, not a victim. I got a, a punch in the gut yesterday. You, know, you, you can say those things, but I get back up. A righteous man falls seven times, but gets back up. The only thing that I can do wrong is get knocked down and stay down. But you've been assured from God that his divine power is on your side. And notice it's pertaining to life and godliness. So God's power has fully equipped you to live with virtue, purity, victory, and everything. That's godliness. But his divine power has also granted you everything to life. That the, the relationship you have with God is not limited to Sundays. It's not limited to one day a week and little Bible studies I might have occasionally. It's like, no. I am invading every area of your life to partner with you in your finances, in your relationships, in your careers, that you are exceptionally prepared to thrive in every one of those areas. I don't say I run a Christian business. I have a software company. But I'm like, I feel God's on my side. It's like, you know, like he's given me the power to be excellent. And like I channel it, I'm like, this is going to be an awesome design. This is going to be an awesome product. This is going to be a great idea. This is a, a brilliant decision. Why? It's because I believe that God's divine power is giving me everything pertaining to life and godliness. I got a seven-page threatening lawsuit from a billion-dollar company, and the very first thing I said is, like, I'm equipped for this, as I'm, like, pooing my pants. 
You know, and you have to apportion what you believe because we're believers, we're not feelers. Amen? And so I feel like I need to go to the bathroom really bad. But I, but I believe that I've been given everything pertaining to, to life. I don't care what law firm is on the, to cover that letterhead. It's like I got this figured out. I don't have the answers, but I'm not lacking in resources. And I think that issue's over now, by the way, which is awesome. Why are you exceptionally equipped to thrive in every area? And this could be my most personal favorite one, is that you have been given the mind of Christ. You have been given the mind of Christ. It's 1 Corinthians 2.16. I think it's next to that you are the presence of God and he's united with you. This is the one I think if you grab hold of this truth, it'll inform and transform every other area of your life. But this is a really hard one to believe. This one is like the one that you read, like you can say, oh, God's spirit is with me, I believe that. But when I say you have the mind of Christ, and then five seconds later you have a bad thought, you're like, nope. <laughs> Clearly mine's defective. What's the refund policy on this mind of Christ? Mine's not working too well. <laughs> It's hard to believe when you have the mind of Christ when you have tormenting thoughts. It's hard to believe that you have the mind of Christ when you have lustful thoughts. It's hard to have the mind of Christ when you have bad thoughts. We all get them. So how do we reconcile that we have the mind of Christ but so many of us suffer in the battleground of our minds? How does that work? Well, it's actually very simple. They don't belong to you. See, I would have a bad thought, and it produced guilt and shame. And when you feel guilt and shame, you don't think about what God wants to do in you. Because when you have shame come over your life, because guilt says, I did something bad, and enough guilt produces shame, and shame says, I am something bad. And so many of us who struggle to have victory in our minds, we eventually give up and we just say, I'm bad. I'm the problem. And you will never be able to tap into the goodness, the power, the authority, the calling of God while you are feeling shame and guilt over the battleground of your mind. Because you'll feel like you're broken. Let me ask you a question. Does the mind of Christ ever have a bad thought? Does the mind of Christ ever have a lustful thought? Does the mind of Christ ever consider suicide? Does the mind of Christ ever have any of those things in its mind? And so it's actually impossible for the mind of Christ to have those thoughts and have those bad thoughts. And you're like, well, hold on, this doesn't make sense to me. How is that possible? Like I said, they don't belong to you. Well, what do you mean? How do we know? Because 2 Corinthians 10 says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You have the mind of Christ, right? But then the biblical instruction is to say, take every thought captive. That word captive there actually means to arrest. Arrest every thought. That means that your mind is subject to trespassing thoughts that are invading your mind of Christ. 
It's Paul saying the two same things. It's not like two different authors I like didn't converse with each other about this theology. Now you have the mind of Christ, but then Paul says, take every thought captive. Arrest those thoughts in Jesus' name. Well, how do we know that that, that really means they don't belong to us? Well, think about it this way. You don't need to arrest and take captive thoughts if they belong to you. Be like arresting yourself. I arrest you. That doesn't make sense. You arrest the thoughts. You take them captive because they don't belong to you, because they are trespassing. Are you guys with me? Are you getting this? You have the mind of Christ, but you have a mind of Christ that has the ability to have trespassing thoughts. And if the bad thoughts don't belong to you, who do they belong to? The enemy. Ephesians 2 tells us that Satan inspires people to disobedience. That Satan inspires people to obedience. You cannot do that unless Satan is infiltrating your thoughts and how you think. Satan is invading our minds with the thoughts of our minds to lead us into disobedience. Satan isn't running billboards. He's not selling infomercials. When we follow the inclinations of the enemy, they originate in what we think. That's where they appeal to because they begin to question. It starts very subtly like these lies in the Garden of Eden, remember? It wasn't like, here's a tasty apple. It's actually dipped in caramel. You should have it. It wasn't even dipped in caramel. (laughs) But Satan's... I know, deep, right? No one knew that? But Satan's trick was to come against the mind of Eve and say, did God really say that? Did he really say? He questioned what Eve thought. Don't forget that Satan also authored into Judas's heart the betrayal of Jesus. Don't forget that Jesus rebuked the idea of Satan that came out of Peter's mouth. Said, get behind me, Satan, which always terrified me when I read that verse. It's like, he called Peter Satan, (laughs) you know. No, he just said that what what can come out of you, the ideas that can come out of you actually are authored from the enemy. And if you don't know that, if if you take all the credit for all the thoughts you have, you're going to find yourself continually blaming yourself when there's another author who's inspiring them in you. I grew up on the farmland of the Northwest, like 30 minutes outside of Oregon, on 26 acres. As a child, like, my favorite jokes, I don't know about you guys, but my favorite jokes as a child were, like, the redneck jokes. Jeff Foxworthy, you guys remember those? If you go to family reunions to pick up chicks, you might be a redneck. You know those ones? (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) I don't even know if I should proceed forward where I was going, maybe. No. <laughs> My, there's a lot of them. Jeff Fox was great. In sixth grade, I was all about the humor or whatever, but the best one, I thought, I'm going to go there. You guys are right? All right, cool. <clears throat> My favorite one at the time, which I just laughed and laughed and laughed for hours, was a redneck joke that says, if your dog passes gas and you claim it, you might be a redneck. (laughs) So disgusting. Here's the the connection here. I know I'm going to make a big theology leap right now. (laughs) 
If a bad thought enters your mind and you claim it, you're under the influence of Satan. If a bad thought enters your mind and then you claim it as your own, you're under the influence of Satan. Under the influence of his lies, under the influence of his shame and his guilt. Here's the truth, is that you don't bear the responsibility for the existence of bad thoughts, but you bear the responsibility of kicking them out. You don't bear the responsibility for the existence of bad thoughts that are trespassing in the mind of Christ, which you have. But you bear the responsibility of kicking them out. And so when a bad thought enters your mind, you need to tell the bad thought that I have the mind of Christ and it doesn't belong here. It says you need to be out. I take authority over the presence of you in my mind and because the mind of Christ cannot think these things, they do not originate from me, I get to tell you to leave. There's a quote from Martin Luther. He says that you cannot stop the birds from flying over your head. Do you remember the rest of it? But you can stop the birds from building a nest in your hair. You can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. You have the mind of Christ. You might not be able to stop the onslaught because the enemy is after how you think. The enemy would, is, is not satisfied by getting you to sin and, and to overindulge in something. He, his primary goal is to get you to think according to a lie so that he can have influence in every other area of your life. So your thoughts are very strategic. But you need to make sure that you don't take ownership of them and you escort them out. And this particular truth transformed my life at a very pivotal time in my early 20s when I was struggling with lots of bad thoughts. It's, it's hard to be anybody, but it's hard being a guy in 20s in a college dorm room where nobody really cares about purity of your eyes. And it's just, it's glossed over. It's like, well, every guy does it. It's no big deal. There's no harm. You know, it's like, and, and when you have that level of encouragement, it's hard. And you feel like, this isn't, this isn't me. And it isn't you because you have the mind of Christ. The reason that it messes with you is because it's out of place. It doesn't belong. It's an occupier of your mind. And you don't need to take ownership of it. How many know that you're dead to sin? So the next time these thoughts come to your mind, you just play dead. Nope, I'm not listening. That person's dead. No, just play dead. I'm not going to entertain you. I'm not going to give you any safe passage. I'm not going to allow you to entertain what I'm thinking. I'm not going to take ownership of you. And just because they enter again doesn't mean they need to stay. But then the next challenge is, is what door do they come through? If you want to have victory in the area of your mind and you have trespassing thoughts, the way of it isn't just to escort them out and be like, oh, that was weird. And you're like, where did that come from? About three weeks ago, I realized that I was becoming a jerk when I got in the office. 
I like would come into the office and I'm like not feeling good. I'm like kind of like. It's like, what am I doing every single morning? It's like I have this like 12 minute commute and I turn on the radio. And I'm listening to how Trump this, Democrats this, Republicans this, laws this, protests this, hate speech this. And when you, your, your mind is bombarded with all these things, it's like you, you turn on the radio, I'm like I'm being electrocuted in this chair. I'm like, you know what? I don't like what's happening to me. I couldn't explain. Like, everything's great. Like, I have no reason to feel yucky. So I, every morning for the past three weeks, I've refused to turn on the radio. And I just have this little Bible memorization, you know, app I have, and I just like, focus on one passage on the way in. You know, suddenly it's like, hey, how's everyone doing? This is great. You know, let's play some ping pong. You know, like, suddenly everything about my mentality has changed because I realized there's a gate in my mind that was allowing trespassing, trespassers to come through. So I'm going to stop there for the night.